glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Let me just say this. Second Peter is a book that speaks much of the last days. And so it's not accidental that we have Lot coming up. Lot and what took place with Lot is a picture of what will take place when the Lord Jesus returns and takes his bride out just before the fire and brimstone fell on Sodom and Gomorrah. God removed the righteous people, even like he removed or shielded Noah from the flood. The difference is Noah was shielded from the flood and Noah was living a godly example. Lot was shielded from the flood of fire and brimstone, but not because he was being godly, but because he belonged to the Lord. And I concern that he is a an accurate picture of probably the average child of God in our current time where there is a righteous, God calls him a righteous and a just man, but you really wouldn't see that by the way he was living his life. And uh, that's concerning that we would have that that kind of, of person. Uh, yet in the last days, that's, that's what he's talking about here, the false prophets and false teachers, and he's going to liken what's going to take place in the last days to what took place in Lot's days. And so let's read 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot. That doesn't mean only Lot, but that just there means of his, his righteousness. His, he was a just man. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. For the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. So here's a just man, Lot, and God delivers him out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and executes justice on the ungodly uh, and the unjust. Yeah, even so it'll be at the end of time the Lord will remove his people and execute wrath on evildoers and and he knows how to reserve the just and how to de- to destroy the unjust and punish them that's the context but in this we find what effect where lot and how lot chose to live had on his own soul and so keep that in mind let's go over to genesis chapter 13 and we'll give you three things tonight about lot that brought him to the place of being vexed with what he saw and what he heard and i hope to make some application tonight Genesis chapter 13. The first thing we're going to see about Lot tonight is that what brought him to this place of vexing his soul daily was a decision that he made. I was talking to my wife recently, and I've spoken to my kids about it since, but I said it's, it's very important that people understand 
the significance of the course they set for their lives. We set a course, meaning we start a trajectory and we'll end up wherever we've aimed. <laughs> Lot began a trajectory that was downward. Now, he's a righteous and a just man, but he let some worldly principles take over his decision-making and he wouldn't realize the full impact of that decision until Genesis 19 when he's living in a cave. May I say, young people, you better be very careful what you start aiming your nose at. You'll end up there. We've heard it said many times, you will fall the way you lean. And it's true. So that bearing that in mind, Genesis chapter 13, uh, verse 5, the Bible says, And Lot also which went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Verse 13, at this point in time, the Bible says, but the men of Sodom were what? Wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Now, there's no doubt about it. As you transition, and this message is not just for the young folks here tonight, but as you transition from the teenage years to adult years, you start setting the course for your life. You start looking at where you want to go. And here's Lot. And I don't know how old he was, but he had lived long enough that he and Abram couldn't live together anymore. He couldn't live under Abram's care. A lot had grown into such a wealthy man himself. There wasn't enough room, none of grazing for both of their cattle. And so they had to separate ways. And so Lot is given a choice. He gets to make a choice about the course that he's going to go. Abram is a weirdo. And you ask him, where are you going? His answer is, I don't know. I just know where I'm not going. I'm not going back to Haran. Well, where are you going to live? wherever God tells me. Well, where's that? Right now, it's here. Well, where are you going next? Mm, wherever God says. I know I'm not going back to Haran. I'll tell you where else Abram wasn't going. Down to Sodom. There's some places he wasn't going to go. i tell you where else he wasn't going to go. He would find he wasn't going to go to Egypt either. He'd been there and found out he didn't belong there. He'd gone down into Egypt and God said, come out of there. And he did and went back and got things restored. But what I'm trying to say tonight is this. Lot is forced with a decision that every one of us is forced with. And that is, what are you aiming at? What is it that you desire? What is it you want to accomplish? You're going to chart a course for your life as Lot did. Abram says, look, we can't stay together. So I'm going to give you the choice. Where are you going to go? I'm going to show, show you a few things about Lot's decision. And this all leads to him daily vexing his soul. At this point, his soul was not vexed daily with the filthy conversation of the wicked. It wasn't around him. He's surrounded by Abram and Abram's herdmen and his own herdmen. He's not living in Sodom. 
Sodom's off in the distance, but here's what Lot did. As a righteous man, he made his decision on worldly principles. So how do you know that? He lifted up his eyes, and what did he do? He saw the well-watered plain and says, Men, I look at that, and that living there would enrich me and make me full. I mean, if my cattle are doing good now, how good would they do down there? in the well-watered plain of Jordan. And he looks off and he says, man, that looks good. And Lot made a decision that was entirely based on the lust of his eyes, the lust of his flesh, and the pride of his life. You see, I thought he was a just man. He was, but just people can make carnal choices. It's true. It's, the Bible's full of it. And here's a man, he looks off and he sees what looks good to him. May I say this? And I'll say it to the young people. There is a life that looks extremely appealing from the distance. You can look at the way the world lives their life. They live their life based on financial principles. They live their life based on the lifestyle they want to have. And they look at what they think will give them the lifestyle they are pursuing. And there's where they go. Let me put it to you this way. Let's say you said, you know what, here's the career I want. Uh, this is what I think will allow me to have the kind of lifestyle I would enjoy, the kind of vehicle I want to drive, the kind of hobbies I want to pursue, the kind of clothing I want to wear, the kind of life I believe I would enjoy in this life, the lush life, the, the rich life, the full life. And then along that line you say, and this is the job that's going to get that for me. And you go fill out an application at this job, and they say, oh, you've got all the skills we're looking for. You're educated in this area, in this area, in this area. Now, you do need to sign a waiver that you will never speak discriminatory words against people of an alternate lifestyle. Well, you've got a choice to make, don't you? You're going to head toward the well-watered plains and make your little compromises here and there, or not? That's the choice. Lot made that choice. To enjoy the well-watered plains, he had to sign some waivers. You see, in Sodom, you were not allowed to speak against alternate lifestyles. He tried it, and it didn't work. I mean, I say this. You young people are headed into a world that if you don't agree and put your stamp of approval on certain wicked things, then you're not going to be welcome. And you can chart your course now. Am I willing to compromise with wickedness in order to advance my personal welfare on this earth. Lot looked off, saw that well-watered plain. He said, that'll give me more cattle. If my cattle could feed down there, if I could live down there, there's only one problem down there. I'm closer to Sodom. I could live next to all those wicked people, but I think it'd be worth it. I think it'd be worth it. So he had a decision to make. Three things about the decision. It was an independent decision. Abram didn't say, you know, Lot, you make the decision... um, you consider going down there? I mean, look at that. No? You know what Abram did? He said, it's your choice, and I'm going to stand back and let you make it. I think one of the hardest things to do as adults and as people who care for others is saying, it's your decision, you get to make it, and you have to live with the consequences. And that's true, by the way. I love my children, but I cannot chart their course for them. I love your children, and I can't chart their course for them either. The fact of the matter is... There's a point in everybody's life where you have to decision what, decide what you're going to pursue. The will of God or the advancement of self. <laughs> you have to decide that. Lot chose. It was an independent decision. Who made the choice for Lot to go toward the well-watered plain of Jordan and to pitch his tent toward Sodom? Lot did. His choice. He made a decision. It was an independent choice. The decision he made that led him to living in Sodom, here's what he did. 
He saw down there Sodom. He said, wow, look at that. Those people in Sodom are wicked. I think I'll go join them. That's the way it worked. Not only an independent decision, it was an incremental decision. Young people, you're not going to find yourself out of the will of God overnight. You're not going to find yourself conformed to the world, uh, surrounded with wicked and ungodly people, wondering, how in the world did I get here, living in the midst of a vile place like this? It doesn't happen overnight. You start your course. It catches your nose. Something in the world, in the worldly lifestyle, you go, whoo, that's appealing to me. And you start making some decisions that way. You start prioritizing your financial career over your spiritual health. You start prioritizing your education over your spiritual well-being. You start, you say you're against education? No. Spiritual well-being comes first. Spirit first, soul next, body last. That's God's order. You tend to your spirit first. Here's what we do often with our young people. We train them to be physical specimens and intellectual specimens, and they turn out having no spiritual well-being. And what happens is we need to focus on their spiritual well-being, and if a child is well spiritually and an adult is well spiritually, they'll be all right intellectually, and they'll be all right physically. Spiritual is what is most important. It's foundational. Everything else flows out of that. Lot chose the physical first, and it was an independent choice, but it was incremental. The Bible says that he, Lot chose him, verse 11, all the plains of, plain of Jordan. Got a question. Does it say Lot chose Sodom? No. He just chose what took him towards Sodom. Let me ask you something. Do you kids think, you young people, and again, this is not just toward young people, but there's much of this application to you tonight. Do you honestly think today you're going to be in church, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek, and then tomorrow all of a sudden you're going to just quit church and uh, devote your life to a career and not even think about church again? Do you think that's going to happen in a seven-day period? It doesn't happen that way. It's incremental. Anybody I've ever watched quit church that used to be faithful to church, I've never seen it fail. Generally, midweek goes first, maybe Sunday school. Then the next thing you know, Sunday night goes. Then the next thing you know... You're coming once every three weeks, and it's incremental. Now, they won't miss their work, and they won't miss entertainment, and they won't miss other things, but church becomes secondary. You say, how does that happen? They weren't saved in the first place. Lot was as righteous as he had ever been. He just let the world get his appetite. He made an independent decision, and incrementally, he moved closer and closer to wickedness and further and further from godliness. Let me say, every person in this room will practice separation towards somebody. There are people that will not hang around me. It's not because I don't love them. Now, they'll hang around people that will curse God's holy name. They'll hang around people that live ungodly, wicked lifestyles. They'll say, we just need to love them, but they haven't got the time of day for somebody who's trying to live holy and godly. And yet, they claim to be Christians. They have more fellowship with the ungodly. You realize Lot spent a lot more time with Sodomites than he did with Uncle Abraham? Every day he spent time with people who committed vile, wicked, unlawful deeds, and he did spend no time with Uncle Abraham who prayed every morning. How did that happen? How did it happen that Lot got more cozy with wicked people than he was with godly people? One little tiny step at a time. When he was given his independence, he said, I know where I'm going. Where I've been eyeing already. His eye caught that well-watered plain. And he said, I'm going to pitch my tent that way. That's where I ultimately want to end up. He didn't pack up and move to Sodom in one night. One tent pitching at a time took him further from godliness and closer to wickedness. Truth? May I say this? By the time you find a child of God 
who is immersed in a wicked culture, I promise you way back yonder somewhere, that plane already caught their eye. That flat land. You know what a plane is? It's flat. No mountains to climb. Not hard to get in the plane. All you got to do is go downhill to get there. And then when you get there, there's not a lot of burden on you. It's not a lot, no climbing, no narrow paths, just a lot of, of easy, comfortable, feeding your cattle, settling in, lush. Now I say this, you, from a natural standpoint, can you blame Lot for chasing that lifestyle? But if not, you say, man, the Christian life, it's battles. Pastor, you preach all the time. It's battles, it's challenges. And I see some people out here living lives, and everybody's got some difficulty, but there does seem to be a life that you can live that's not so challenging. Can we not find, I mean, does it, does, does it have to be so challenging? Yeah, if you want to pitch your tent towards Sodom, it can be. There was not a lot of opposition in the plain. It was flatland. So his decision was independent. It was incremental, but make no mistake, it was intentional. Lot was not accidentally moving towards Sodom. He knew where he wanted to be. That appealed to him. The lifestyle that was being lived there. May I say this? In your flesh, the nightlife can catch your attention. Can it not? The nightlife, the party life, the bright lights and the, the flash and the, and the glamour of the sin life. You can say, I don't really want to get engrossed in that, but I wouldn't mind being a little closer to it. I wouldn't mind knowing a little more about it. I don't think Lot thought, you know, I want to go down there and be like the people who live in Sodom, but man, it looks appealing. What a beautiful city. You've heard me preach this before and you've heard it said before. You know, Las Vegas, Nevada is a beautiful city. Beautiful fountains, architecture. I've never been there and I don't know how many plans of going. But I've heard it's a beautiful city. I've seen pictures of it. At least what you see pictures of is beautiful. <laughs> it's a wicked, wicked, wicked place. I've been told by people that have had to go to that town, if you ever have to be in that town, take your family. You keep your children within feet of you or you might lose them. I've been told that more than once. There are vile people that are constantly promoting sin and you keep them close enough that they can't be out of your reach. Isn't that, isn't that a lovely place to go? Doesn't that sound like Sodom? And here's what happened. Lot saw that city and said, man, something about that is really attractive. I don't intend on living there, but I would like to get a better look. So he pitched his tent and began moving. And with intention, he got there. By, we get, by the time, we won't read it, but by the time you get into Genesis chapter 14, he's living there. He's living in Sodom, and Sodom comes under attack and gets captured, including Lot and his family, in a war. And Uncle Abraham comes to the rescue and delivers Lot. Here's Lot's opportunity to get out of that life he had been pursuing. Abraham sets him free. He gets an opportunity to get a reset button and start over and make a different choice. You know what he does? In Genesis 14, after Abraham liberates him and the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom, a picture of Satan, tries to buy Abraham off with a bribe. And Abraham says, I don't want anything as much as a shoelace or shoe latchet from you. I don't want you taking God's credit saying you made me rich. I'd rather be poor than take something from you, mister. <laughs> don't you think Lot could have looked and said, if my uncle feels that way about the king of Sodom, what in the world am I doing living here? Didn't Lot know what kind of man Abraham was? Here's what Lot probably thought. Oh, Uncle Abraham, the legalist. That narrow-minded, straight-laced uncle of mine can't have a little fun in life. When Lot got the ability to leave Sodom, he went back. So I said his decision was not accidental. No one grabbed Lot by the nose and said, you have to live in Sodom. He wanted to. 
the life of ease was more appealing to him than the life of faith. And therefore, that's what he lived. That's what he pursued. So his decision was independent. It was incremental. One little step at a time. He pitched his tent that way. The next thing you know, he's in the gate by the time we get to Genesis 19. So that brings us to his dwelling. Go, if you would, now to Genesis 19. Genesis chapter 19. Let's read the first handful of verses here in this chapter. I find this chapter hard to read. It's a difficult chapter to look upon and to think about because of what takes place here. Genesis 18, let me just say this. Abraham was more concerned about Lot's spiritual condition than Lot was. Abraham was more concerned about how Lot was doing than Lot was. Because here's what happened. Judgment is about to fall on Sodom. Lot hasn't got a clue. His grandchildren, if he had any, his children and his in-laws are for sure about to drop into hell. He hadn't even got a clue. Doesn't care. He's living the good life, kind of, but not really. (laughs) He's got a house now. He doesn't need a tent anymore. He's permanently dwelling in the city. Before, he was just kind of mm, aiming that way with a little bit of intrigue and a little bit of interest. Now he's living there. He is surrounded by the wickedness of that town. But he hadn't forgot you're supposed to eat leavened bread. Bless his heart. He retained his religious practices. Verse 1, chapter 19. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and he said, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. See, what Lot knew what they were doing was wicked, did he not? Yeah, he never lost his, his discernment or his judgment. Verse 7, uh, verse 8, Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the, roof of, uh, the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said, again, this one fellow came in to sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house of them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great. So they wearied themselves to find the door. Now again, remember Genesis chapter 13? Lot was living in a what? A tent. A tent is a temporary dwelling. In Genesis 19, he's living in a house, and he's sitting in the gate. Lot had gotten very comfortable in Sodom. He is now settled in. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, that in dwelling among them, meaning Lot learned how to live with wicked people and how to get along with them while they were doing wickedly. You realize God does not expect us to do that? Abraham lived close enough to Sodom that when it burned, he saw the smoke. But he lived far enough that he didn't have to see their wicked deeds every day. 
He was close enough to know what was coming, but far enough not to be exposed day by day with their vile, wicked things. Now, I understand, again, the world's going to do what it's going to do. But the idea of living a separated life is living close enough to pray for people and make a difference without living close enough to be a partaker of their evil deeds. And what has happened today is we're told we're supposed to live so close that we all feel comfortable with each other. No, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 still says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Now, Abraham, he had a place every morning he prayed. Genesis 18 and 19 tell us about this. He would go and meet with God daily and pray. I wonder where Lot's place was. You think they let him pray in the streets? No, I doubt it. Maybe they let him pray at city council. He sat in the gate. Hmm, I doubt it. (laughs) He was so close to them that the Bible says he dwelt among them. That gives the idea there was a mutual allowance of each other. I believe this. We ought to be so firm in our devotion to God that the world knows we are not tolerant of what they do. We can love them. We can call them to repentance. We can be kind. But they ought to know that there's nothing in us that's okay with what they're doing, the way they're living. More and more today, we're more like Lot. I say that generally speaking in that, well, we just want to be, we want things to go smoothly. And uh, that's where Lot was. There's a couple of things I see about his dwelling among them. We understand how corrupt his surroundings were. The Bible says that he was vexed with their unlawful deeds in dwelling among them. But the other thing you see in chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, not only the corruption of his surroundings, but the complacency of his soul. You know what Lot got used to? He got used to seeing two men together. He got used to this. Now, he was not okay with it. He didn't agree with it, but he got used to it because he lived around it. It was all around him. Uh, He got used to immorality. It's no wonder that he was engaged and involved in immorality before he died, even if it wasn't his own choice. You know what? Here's what I'm saying. He chose to live in a place where he knew he would expose himself daily to wicked, vile things. I want to tell you something. How many think it would be okay if I said, you know, folks, I've picked me up a part-time job. I've never planned on drinking beer, but I have started as a bartender down at the local bar. Pastor, you got serious problems. Well, I'm not going to drink. I have no desire to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to start. But hey, everybody's got to earn a living somehow. Would anybody have a problem with that? You better. (laughs) Amen. I'm glad you would. You should. The fact of the matter is, that would be nuts. But what if I said, well, I'm not going to drink at the bar, but I'm going to bring drinking into my home on my TV screen every day. Where it's condoned and made to look like it's something good. I would never, I would never advocate these sinful... Here's what I'm trying to say. You and I cannot change the corrupt world we live in, but we do not have to immerse ourselves in it to where every day we are seeing it and hearing it. Listen to me now. You get to decide what you put on that radio. You get to decide what's on your phone. You get to decide what's on your computer screen. Or if you have a computer screen, you get to decide if you're going to have a television screen or not. And if you do, what's going to be on it? That's your independent decision. And I've watched too many godly good people incrementally step one step closer to evil until there are things on their screens that should never be there things that are grievous to God, things that vex their righteous soul, but mm, that's the life they want to live. You with me tonight? 
You and I get to choose our surroundings. We get to choose the kind of life we pursue. It's an independent choice, but you show me somebody incrementally getting more comfy with sin. I'm going to show you somebody that's going to lose their influence in this world. What happened with Lot? He had a decision that determined his dwelling where he lived every day. Back to 2 Peter chapter 2, if you would. And it led to his distress. One of the things I see among God's people generally, and we touched on this throughout the day last week, last Sunday, what we see is a, an, a discontentment, almost a constant distress. It's rare to find a saved person today that has fullness of joy. I don't think I don't think I'm stepping out of bounds to say that. I want you to think very quickly of how many Christians, people that you know have a firm testimony of faith in Jesus Christ, you feel confident they're a child of God based on their testimony. And I want you to count in your mind and on your hands how many Christians you know that you would consider to be filled with joy. Now I believe we ought to be burdened for our society. I believe we ought to be grieved for the loss. But you realize our Savior was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, but he had joy set before him. He said, my joy I give unto you, my peace I give unto you. So these things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you, meaning he had joy. So he's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, he had joy. How many Christians do you know in the United States of America that are filled with joy. I'm not counting right now, but I think it'd be less than I could count on two hands. And I know a lot of Christians. Now, why is that? Well, pastor, we're so persecuted. No, we're not. No, we're not. Lot wasn't persecuted either. Lot's greatest persecutor was who? Lot. He lived a life that he decided to live And every day what he chose to surround himself so that he could have a lifestyle. It was a lifestyle he wanted. And in order to have that, he had to expose himself daily to the unlawful deeds of the ungodly. The Bible says in seeing what he looked at, what he saw with his eyes, and what he heard with his ears vexed his righteous soul. It sucked the spiritual life right out of him. and vexed him. I wonder today... Are we making decisions that are exposing our ears and our eyes to things that God never intended them to be exposed to? The Bible says that the wicked deeds of the, of the ungodly, we're not supposed to seek, speak of what they do in private. It's so ungodly. Meaning we're not supposed to be, we're to be simple concerning evil. Now I understand, look, I understand what the world is throwing at us. But how many of you realize we don't have to surround ourselves with it? We don't have to. We don't have to immerse ourselves in seeing wicked things every day, in listening to wicked things every day. May I say this? If you're going to fit in in this world and be somebody, though, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to take part in a certain level of that, in having to watch people do things. I remember years ago when I worked a secular job, and they said, hey, you know, we've got a Christmas party. We'd love for you to come. One of those is enough for me. I got a little bit of ways in, and they started the drinking, and, My agnostic friend said, Nevin, you're not comfortable here. I said, I am not. He said, would you like me to take you back? I said, I would. 
bless his heart, my lost agnostic friend. And he took me out of there and I never went to another one. I didn't have to see that. You know what? I can't say I climbed the corporate ladder. I also didn't have to watch people ruin their lives in sin and take part in it. You with me? Here tonight, you and I have some choices we get to make. But what we actually want, you know what? Why didn't Abram go down to Sodom? Because God wasn't there. God wanted within 100 miles of Sodom. They didn't want him. God had to destroy them to deal with their sin. So Lot's distress, the source of it, was his decision and his dwelling. The significance, (laughs) day by day. How many days did Lot have that he wasn't vexed by what he saw and what he heard? According to 2 Peter chapter 2, not one. Day by day. Every day was the same. I wonder if Lot got up and thought, I wonder today if I'll be able to, to, to handle this better. May I say this? If you're a righteous person, sin will always affect you. It's going to grieve you. It's going to have a certain effect on your soul. You can be around it. You can be exposed to it. It's going to have a certain effect on your soul always. And I wonder if Lot ever thought, man, I was a fool. Why did I ever even start my pitching my tent this way? I don't think he ever thought that. Because when it was time to leave Sodom, what did he say? I like my vexed life. He was so in love with what he saw, what he heard, and the lifestyle it afforded him that even when he had the opportunity to be set free from it, he said, no, I'd rather stay. Now, I'm going to make the application. I've seen Christians, believers, righteous people, who have immersed themselves in seeing and hearing wicked things every day. And they hear preaching that would help them make decisions, that would set them free. And they say, I'd rather stay where I am. What a sad commentary. And what happens is, here's the significance of his distress when he goes to deliver his loved ones, as you well know. Tell me how much influence Lot had. Abram had prayed, Lord, if there be ten righteous in that city. Many of you know this as well or better than I. Lot had at least four daughters because he had two that went with him and he had at least two sons-in-law because the Bible says in the plural. He may have had more than that. So if he'd won all four of his daughters and all four of their husbands, that makes how many? That would be eight people. Himself, and if he'd won his wife, how many does it make? Ten. I wonder if that's what Abram had in mind when he prayed. Surely, surely, Lot has been able to bring his daughters and sons-in-law to repentance in faith. Surely, they are righteous people. Surely, Noah only won eight. He had three sons and their wives and his wife, but he won them all. Got them on the boat. How many did Lot win? Zero. Now listen closely to me. When we get an appetite for this world, it doesn't rob you of your salvation, but it absolutely destroys your influence. Absolutely destroys your influence. And here's what we need to think about tonight. One ought to think, What are my incremental decisions? Am I drawing closer to godly people? Or am I getting more cozy and comfortable with the wicked? Am I acclimating to wicked people? Am I getting used to seeing and hearing things that are wicked? Am I acclimating to that? Am I moving toward the lifestyle where I've got to be surrounded with the ungodly and I'm not near the godly? If so, your distress is going to be daily and your influence is going to be zero. He didn't have to stay in Sodom. He could have left. 
one of the sad commentaries on many Christians today is we don't have to live a defeated life. We don't have to live a life daily vexed with, with the, the deeds of the wicked that we have exposed ourselves to. We don't have to. We can live a life wholehearted for the Lord. May I say this, whether it's entertainment or some other means that are, that's causing us to be immersed in a wicked culture. Listen, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are to come out from among them and be separate. So tonight, as we make our decisions, are we headed toward the lush life that this world has to offer? You know what? If he'd stayed and lived his life like Abraham, it was one day at a time. God's showing him where to go next. After Lot left, though, you know what happened to Abram? God says, Abram, you look around you. Everything you see and everything your foot touches, it's yours. What a gift. Lot could have had the same. That's the sadness of his decision, the sadness of his distress. He didn't have to live that way. He had opportunity after opportunity to turn his back on that life and live a separated life unto God. May I say this tonight? If you're saved here tonight, at some point in time in your saved life, God has dealt with you about living a life wholly consecrated to Him, not pursuing your own happiness, not pursuing your own success, but simply pursuing His will and that alone. And you've got to decide, am I going to pursue what I think will make me happy or am I going to pursue the will of God and trust Him to do what He wants and trust that His will is best? Tonight, we're somewhere on this timeline. We've either already had the opportunity to make our decision, we're already headed the right way or the wrong way, or that decision's going to be coming. We may look back and say, you know what, I've been like Lot. I've immersed myself with things that I don't have to be, but in order to have the lifestyle I want, I have. I don't know hearts tonight. God knows hearts and how the message is applied. I know this. Our eyes and our ears were not designed for us to daily listen and observe people doing wickedly to the distress of our soul. Amen? God didn't give us eyes and ears. He gave us eyes to lift them up and look on the harvest field. He gave us ears to hear His voice and to hear the needs of others and serve with. He didn't give us to fill them with the cries of the wicked as they commit their sins.